Hi guys, welcome to episode three of the Rise Above series. Essentially a series where I get to interview really cool people that have amazing stories of having gone through something really difficult and life altering and how they dealt with it and how they have personally risen above in their life. And today I'm so excited. I have Trista Hamsmith. Hi. It's so cool. And I'm going to read a short bio. I met her during my time at Texas Tech when I lived in Lubbock. And she is the founder of Reese's Purpose, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to identify, advocate, and correct safety issues impacting children and their families. Trista founded Reese's Purpose following the death of her 18-month-old daughter, Reese, after she accidentally swallowed a button battery that fell out of a faulty remote control. Trista turned her tragedy into advocacy, and less than two years after Reese's death, Reese's law was passed to direct the Consumer Product Safety Commission to develop and implement new safety standards to protect children from accidental ingestion of button, bat button cell batteries. Trista continues to advocate for issues that threaten children's safety through Reese's Purpose, and she lives in Lubbock, Texas with her husband, daughter Blake, and new son, Brody. When when um, was he born? A year ago, right? He was born in July, so he's 10 months now. He's 10 months. How's that going? I bet he's just so cute. It, it's good. It, you know, he really brought a lot of joy back into our lives that was missing by no means a replacement, but you know, it's nice to have a baby around the house. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sweet. Is there, has there been something recently that he's done, whether I, I really don't know much about children, but like a, a word or is he crawling some big life? He's, he's all about his data. So we constantly hear da 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 da, And that's if he, if Chris is home, that's all he wants. He wants nothing to do with the rest of us. So you know. Like, yeah, I don't it's really just care. It's just a fake. <laughs> You're like, he'll come back to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so for all of our listeners, um, obviously who don't know your story and what happened, um, what I really like to do is just let you take the reins and um kind of start where it all started, and then I'll just pop in and ask any questions that yeah. Um, so it was Halloween of 2020 that that morning we noticed Reese was just, she was stuffy. She was snotty, just not her usual self. Um, and so our pediatrician happens to have a weekend clinic on Saturdays and this was a Saturday. And, uh, so I guess this is October 30th, 2020. And, uh, so I went ahead and took her in just you know, it seems like kids always get sick on the weekends and you never have your doctor when that happens. So we decided to go ahead and take her in and she was diagnosed with croup. It's a common misdiagnosis for button battery ingestion. It mimics it almost to a T. So I uh, gave her a steroid shot, sent us home and told us to come back Monday if she wasn't feeling better. It was that following day that we realized there was a button battery missing in our home. Um, at first, honestly, like I thought the dogs, we, we had two dogs. And so I thought it's gotta be, you know, one of them, if we can't find it anywhere. And wait, <laughs> so, um, it, was it in a remote or was it a toy or how did you notice it was missing? It was in a remote, the remote that actually powers our TV. So when I went to turn the TV on to play some music while we were cleaning, um, that's when I realized that it was missing. 
And so, you know, I Googled symptoms and I quickly realized that we, somebody in our house had that battery most likely, but it was in fact, not one of our pets. And so at that point I said, um, I mean, I was like, no way, like no way would a child eat a silver piece of metal, you know? And I said, Chris, I said, grab a button battery. And he grabbed one and we dropped it next to her. And as quick as it takes to do this, I mean, she, which we obviously didn't let her eat that one, but I mean, just so quickly. And I was like, oh my gosh, I said, you get to the ER right now. I am going to find somebody to come watch Blake. I'll meet you there. And so he got to the ER and, you know, for all of y'all out there listening, if you ever do suspect a bed and battery ingestion, go quickly and let them know the second you walk in, they will immediately get you back. Uh, Burning starts to happen within 15 minutes of ingesting a battery. So, and the serious damage within two hours. So they got there and um, immediately got her back, did an x-ray and confirmed that she had in fact ingested that that battery. And it was, it was lodged right, right up here. So, um, of course I got my oldest taken care of and I rushed to the hospital where we did emergency surgery, given that it was a Sunday, they had to call a team in. And so they removed the battery and we went to the ICU. Uh, we stayed there for a few days. They did another scope before we left. Um, and said they felt like she was good to leave. Now, what we didn't know at the time was that batteries continue to burn for days, even after removed. So we were released to go home, but injuries were still occurring. And so we went home on a Tuesday and then that Friday, kind of same thing. I'm like, you know, it's the weekend. Let's get eyes on her before we, you know, step into it. And that morning I went to see our pediatrician she looked her over and just really did not like the way that, that she sounded. And like so coughing she, or was um, she was just really wheezy. Like when she listened with the stethoscope, she just, she didn't like the rumbles that she heard. Yeah. And so uh, we left and she said, I'm going to call her surgeon and, you know, see what he recommends. Mm-hmm. And it was about two o'clock that afternoon, I was in HEB with Reese. Um, she was running the aisles, acting crazy. And um, we got the phone call that said, we need you to get to the hospital like quickly. And I was like, like, like right, right now, or can I go pick Blake up? Like, how, like, what are we looking at? And they said, right now. Yeah. And so I left my car in HEB and drove entirely too quickly to the hospital. And literally it was like, in that time, Reese took a turn. And so we got there and um, one of the residents that had uh, been a part of the surgery and kind of overseeing the case with our surgeon did not like the way Reese looked to the point that she did not leave our side. Like she was so afraid that she was going to code right there. And so we, we got back and we got the CAT scan done And it confirmed that the battery had in fact continued to burn and it burned a hole through her esophagus and through her trachea. And it formed a fistula, which is like a tunnel that connected the esophagus and the trachea. So we had air going where it didn't need to go. And of course she was on a liquid only diet at this point. And so we had liquid going where it didn't need to go. So sorry to interrupt, but I, so I'm trying to understand even so that they removed the button battery, it was gone. But then 
why was it the residue or how could it right so once that you know the erosion Mm -hmm. starts because that connects the positive and the negative once you have those liquids Mm -hmm. and so the battery was removed but the stuff that was burning it is still there so that continues to burn for days and so they sent us back to ICU and the next morning um took her back for surgery they they had to place a G button so that we could get her nutrition. She could no longer have anything orally. And she also came back sedated. Uh, that morning was the last time that we saw her awake and as herself um, ever. So she came back from that. She was sedated and they wanted to wait a few days to let some inflammation and swelling go down to see exactly what we were dealing with before we came up with like our big game plan of how we were going to repair this. And so it was two days later in the middle of the night, um, my husband would go to the hospital at nighttime. He'd work all day and then he'd sleep at the hospital at night. Mm -hmm. And then I would be there all day. And then I would come home to be with Blake in the evenings. And so basically I would get home like at nine o'clock at night and then I'd be back up at four in the morning heading to Starbucks to take Chris because Lord knows he was exhausted and then to spend the day with Riri. And so on that night, um, I woke up to someone standing over me and to be honest, I tried to karate chop him. Like I thought it was like some stranger in my home and yeah, my, my poor husband, it was Chris and he had been trying to call me, but I had my phone on silent. I, I didn't even think that an emergency of that caliber could take place. And so I, I didn't turn the volume on. She had coded. And so driving a hundred miles an hour back to the hospital again, and they were still had the balloon bag giving her oxygen at that point when I got there. And so all the doctors, you know, that were on her case came in middle of the night ones that, you know, I personally know as friends and I will always be so thankful to the Lord that I had people there that I knew. And I wasn't just like alone and scared, you know, I had people that that knew me and that knew the situation. And so together we decided that she needed to be taken to a different hospital. Um, Lubbock does have a fantastic hospital, but when you are dealing with an injury like this, you, you really need to be at a larger hospital. So they told me I had two hours to pack. This was in the height of COVID. So only one person got to go. My family had just opened a car dealership. 30 days prior to the ingestion. So um, Chris and I were doing it on our own. We didn't have employees. Um, So he obviously needed to be there with that. And we were like, we're going to find a time for you to come and, you know, we'll figure that out later. But at this point it was one person period. So I ran home to pack and I didn't pack anything worth any. I think I packed pajamas and that was it. Like, I mean, who would have thought you'd need underwear, right? Right. Well, you got way better things to deal with. So, um, Texas children sent the kangaroo crew to pick us up. And so once they got there, the ambulance took Reese and I to the little, um, kind of arrow care airport, the medical airport right by our airport. And they had their jet there and I'll never forget like getting on And seeing just all the medical things, like a plane could be done this way, you know, 
And they had a full medical team of doctors taking care of her that whole trip. And I remember, I remember sitting in the back and just crying, like, this isn't supposed to be happening. Like, God, where are you? And, you know, I grew up on a strong faith. So for me to question even for a second was just as hard of a pill to swallow. I remember it took us the shortest amount of time to like maybe an hour to get there. So this jet flew low and fast. And then we get there and Texas Children's had an ambulance there to pick us up. And then on that one, they drove so slow, Nicole, like... I'm talking five miles an hour from the airport to the hospital because her airway was so stinking critical that anything could have gone wrong. We made it to the hospital, got up to our room and, um, you had to do the COVID test and all that stuff. And, uh, then it was waiting. They wanted inflammation to go down. I can't tell you how many times I heard that, like, Oh, just waiting for the inflammation. And then we'll look, then we'll look, look at the the burning mm-hmm. basically stick hammers down there mm-hmm. and so we finally got to do that and come up with our game plan her team consisted of cardiothoracic general surgeon um ear nose and throat and plastics and I know plastic sounds a little bit funny but how they decided to fix this you know we have we have the hole connecting the two right So they were going to take a muscle from her neck and put it in between so that that fistula could not reform. So it was the Monday after Thanksgiving that we finally got to do that surgery. It was an all day event. I mean, all day. And the, the surgery went well. It was a success. They were very pleased. And so now we were back to waiting for healing and inflammation to go down. And so, you know, in that time, or I guess up until this point, we had had so many scopes and tests and I mean, you name it, we did it. And being such a critical airway, she could hardly move. In fact, we were told that because of her time being sedated, she would have to relearn how to sit up. We would have had an 18 month old infant that had to learn everything again. And so the next step was to, you know, do the scope, make sure everything was looking good, and then to get her off the breathing machines. Now, Reese was a spicy, spicy little girl. She fought the sedation like nobody's business. In fact, I joke that she had more propofol than Michael Jackson. And she would say more more propofol than Michael Jackson. That's the drug that he... Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but she would, she'd still be awake and we're like, come on, Jesus child, you know? Yeah. And so, um, we took her off the vent and, um, she did great. She was breathing on her own, went all day that night. Um, you know, nurses pay attention to the parents as much as the kiddo, which I did not know which would make sense because they would often bring me food and I'm like, Oh, I'm good. And they're like, no here. And one of them was so sweet. She'd bring me homemade meals. Oh, like she was like, no, like you, which I mean, this was a two month thing. So I was eight hours from home alone, you know, and, and which, so, were you in Dallas? Which hospital was it? Houston. Or, it was the Houston hospital. Houston. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That's far from Lubbock for those who don't know. Yeah. It's an eight hour. 
Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a far away. So, and my mom was there. I rarely got to see her. Um, it sometimes at nighttime I would go down for dinner and we would eat, and sometimes she would come up and I would call my therapist. Thank the Lord, one of my best friends is a therapist, and so she kind of therapied me as much as she could through that time in the evenings. And so she did good all day. I'd gone down to grab some food. And when I got back up, <clears throat> the hallway was empty, which like the whole hall you walk down, there's, you know, three nurses stations. I mean, so I should have seen five to six nurses, you know, people around walking. I saw nobody in. I knew what that meant. Um, you know, as long as I'd been there, I, I had held other mothers as they watched their children die at this point with COVID, you know, we were all there on our own. So we kind of just became friends and supported each other how, how we could. And so I knew a kid wasn't doing good. I, I did not think for a second it would be Riri. She had been doing so great. And then she wasn't, I turned the corner and I heard starting compressions. And, um, you know, the room was full. I remember like begging, like at the gap, at the glass, like just my hands on the glass, like, Lord, please, please. And then I'll never forget this nurse that said, no, you go talk to her. And so I went bedside, you know, I was like, Reese, you fight, you fight. You're meant to be here. This is not how this ends. And she was gone about eight minutes. And we got her back that time. So that's now the second time she coded and, and we got her back. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, the consensus was she just wasn't strong enough and we we're going to give her a few more days. And so we did that. And the next time we tried to take her off, it was like maybe four minutes in. I was like, I mean, she was looking at me like, mommy, I, I can't do this. And so she I said, conscious. like she, she could, so, yeah, they had to turn all the sedation off. And so she was still like super groggy, but she, you know, she was, she was where she could see me. And so I looked at the doctor and I said, we, we can't do this. Like she's, she's not ready. And, and he laid his hand on my shoulder and he said, I agree with you and you made the right decision. And so we were back sedated and on the vent again. And so the next step was a trach. Um, I was terrified of a trach that is so parent involved and I am not like a medical person. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, they make you pass like a simulation room, like in an emergency situation with a trach before they even let you leave the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like, I would joke with them. Like, I hope y'all like us because I'm never passing that simulation room and we're going to be here forever. But, um, you know, I was also excited. Like it was, it was a plan we're moving forward and, you know, five to seven days from that trait being placed, we would have been able to wake her up. I was also scared of that because I had heard other children on the hall that were weaning off of sedation meds and it's awful. I mean, it, they're an addict at that point. So, you know, I was nervous, but ready and, you know, time time to let her learn to hold her head up and learn to crawl and do all those things. And so we placed the trach and, um, middle of the night, it's about 2 AM. I woke up and the room was like jam packed and our doctor had placed the trach like at eight o'clock that night. So 
like him being back at the hospital already. And he's not a doctor that stays at the hospital all night. So I knew something was kind of off and they just didn't like the numbers. They said that they, they just weren't looking right. They wanted to do a different trach that might be a better fit for her until we could have a custom one made. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first trach, she would have had a little bit more neck movement. This one she would not have. And so they took her back, placed that trach, got her back to the room. Everything was fine and well, went back to sleep and 8 a.m. Same thing. The room was full. They didn't like the numbers. And so they wanted to do a bedside scope to just kind of see, you know, what was going on in there that, you know, why, why we're having this problem with two different types of trachs. And so they started that. And shortly after, shortly after they started, the beeping started. And I remember watching the screen and the numbers go down. And the last one I saw was six before I bowed my head and I prayed, but I honestly was like, we have done this twice before. Like, this is fine. It's fine. We'll get her back. We'll move forward. It's, it's okay. But then minutes kept going by and, you know, I hit my knees and I demanded people pray with me in the room, demanded these, these poor people. I'm like, if your hands are not on my child, you will pray right now. And we prayed and I begged and I think it was about 30, 35 minutes in, I was like, looked at this nurse and I said, at what point do, do we know that it's not okay? And bless her heart. She was like, I can't, I can't answer that. And I think they're probably told not to, but I knew in my heart at that point. And then the doctor came up to me and he said, Trista, we, we can keep going, but, um, you have to know that there might not be any quality of life at all and most likely won't be if we get her back. And I had to make that decision. I later found out that brain damage starts happening at eight minutes. And so I at least feel confident in the decision that I made there, but it will still hurt like nobody's business forever. And so something went wrong during that scope. And ultimately the damage was just too much. So I guess in my time there, I, um, I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm Never not. gets easier. No, I, um, I had been posting in this Peloton group and it was kind of like my safe place to post about like how she was doing and without judgment. Cause I didn't know anybody in there. And, um, so I'd kind of been talking with some moms and this group was so amazing. Like any of my needs that I, I needed met, they were there. They sent me care packages. One of my requests was a Bible. I had it within 24 hours. I mean, these women were just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So from there, we came home, planned a funeral and, um, she's buried on December 23rd. And then it was shortly after Christmas one of the Peloton moms called me and said, Hey, you know, we, we want to do something like, what can we do? Like, do we want to like get a, a park after Reese, like named in her honor in Lubbock or, you know, what do you want? And it was just like stone cold facts to me. I want change. I don't want this to happen to another kid. And I don't want another mother to ever know what I know. And so you know, when we were in Houston, I had gone to Target. I had, you know, had to go buy underwear, right? 
And so it's a forgotten underwear. I had gone to Target and I bought her a little Christmas tree to have in her room because I wanted her to wake up to like the sparkles and, you know, the joy of Christmas. And so I bought her a tree and I also bought this little plaque and it said, he has a plan and I have a purpose. And it was placed on me very early on in the hospital that we were meant to go for change. And I I thought it would be with Reese by my side, obviously. I never imagined I would be going at it alone. But when I was talking to these women, I was like, this, this is what we've got to do. We've, we've got to get law changes. We've, we've got to get higher restrictions on this stuff. And so me and this team started out, none of us had anything to do with, um, with political world or legislation. Like we, none of us knew anything, but you know, it was a grassroots effort. And so we started calling, you know, I started calling any congressman that would give me the time of day. And um, eventually we came together and we announced Reese's law in August of that following year. So in 2021. And so we announced, you know, the bill in the Senate or in the house, I'm sorry. And then within a week, I got some phone calls from a couple senators and they're like, Hey, like, we, we saw this bill. We think it's important. And you, you know, I spouted off like all the statistics, which are just like so disheartening of how many children actually do ingest batteries. And they were like, time is of the essence. Let's, let's go through the house and the Senate at the same time. And so, okay, but let's do it. And so in that time I called every congressman in the U S spoke with most every Senator in their office in the U S spoke with most. And, uh, finally it came down to, you know, you have to go through markup, like a like total lesson for me and how all this works for sure. You know, you have to go through the different markups and then you have to go to the small committee and then you go to the house and Senate committee. And so we passed the house first. Um, it would have been, I think July Brody was born July 8th. And so it was shortly after he was born. So I remember holding him on the couch and watching C-SPAN because I couldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, next was the Senate. And so we passed the Senate in August and then president Biden signed shortly after that. So we did get Reese's law, which is amazing. And, and what Reese's law entails is any item containing a button battery, not just a children's toy, you know, kids live in our home. So if we have a meat thermometer with a button battery, why is it not secured? Right. Mm-hmm. So everything is going to be required to be secured. Um, it'll be stronger warning labels as well as the batteries that you buy at the grocery store, Walmart, et cetera. Um, those will have to be in childproof packaging. So the CPSC now has one year to decide how we're going to um, securely close those batteries. I have to say the CPSC has been amazing to work with. They are diligently going after not just any fix, but the strongest fix and the right fix. And, you know, we're so appreciative of that. And so we should get that answer come late August, early September. And then from there, manufacturers will have 18 months to comply. So, um, you know, we're thankful, but it's also one of those things like that's still almost two years away. So it's extremely important that people are aware and diligent about what they're doing with batteries in their home. Mm-hmm. 
that's so, I mean, obviously I, I knew the story. Um, cause I, um, also I worked with Trista for her nonprofit. So for Reese's purpose. Yeah. I was, yes. I helped with fundraising and, um, you know, I know the story, but I'd never, this is the first opportunity I've had to really sit down and hear it from start to finish. And, um, it's a lot. Powerful. Yeah. I think probably the biggest question I have, cause you know, the core of rise above is that every individual goes through their own difficult circumstance. And, um, you know, for you, it's losing a child. Um, for another guest I had on, it was being diagnosed with cancer twice and learning she couldn't have kids as a result. So, you know, and obviously I I remember you saying that you got on the plane and, and you were like, why God, why is this happening to me? So through experiencing those feelings, what would you say was the most important thing or tool or way that you were able to get over those? And instead of, you know, having self-pity or just going into a depression or, you know, not being able to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to take this hard thing and, and make it into something beautiful. So, you know, why God, why definitely did not mean that I didn't believe it was why, why us. And I feel like either God needed the mom that wouldn't quit to help protect other kids, or maybe it was the devil at play that day. We, we won't know on this side of heaven, but what I found to be the most important was leaning into him every single day, even when it hurt, even when I felt like I couldn't feel him. And there were so many times that I felt like I couldn't feel him. But now looking back two and a half years later, he was carrying me the whole time. He was protecting the areas of my heart that needed to be protected. He was protecting the areas of my brain that needed to be protected. He was handpicking women to come and work with me to help get this legislation. I mean, right down to you, Nicole, you know, like what an asset you were to us. And it it took all of us. And so when you look back at it, you see like how present he was in every last bit of the situation. And even with the law, like laws like this don't get passed. Parent advocates, they work hard and, you know, it rarely happens. And when it does, it takes years and years. And we, we did it in a very short amount of time. And And that was God's work. And the funny thing is like, people would tell me like, oh, it's not going to get done. And it was amusing to me because I never doubted. I knew that the law would get passed. Like it was just kind of amusing to me when people would say that because he placed it on me. And so I think one thing that's so important to look at there is obedience. You know, when the Lord places something on you, you don't ask how, you don't, you don't doubt it. You just roll with it and you lean into him. And, you know, the story I just told you, I had to tell to every Congress office and every Senate office I met with. And when I say that he placed protection around me, he did telling that story within months of my child dying over and over again. And I look back, I watched some videos, like there's an inside edition interview that I just watched recently that I was like, how did I do that? Well, I know how, 
he, he placed that hedge of protection and he gave me the words I needed that needed to get out there to other families so that they knew to be aware. And he guarded my heart as we did that. So I think for me, the rise above is not necessarily letting the situation define me. Like I am Trista and I did lose my baby and that'll hurt forever, but I can push forward doing two things, creating a legacy for her that she so deserves to have, but also reminding people how important it is to lean into the Lord and to not give up because even when you think he's not there, I promise you he is. And if I can still trust and if I can still believe after everything I've been through, then you can too. Oh, I have shivers. <laughs> that's yeah. That's so, and, and that's the whole purpose of this podcast series too, is to, I think there's so much power and vulnerability and being able to share your story and having the strength to do that. And, and you personally having to relive that, those last moments with your daughter over and over again to, to make change, to, you know, help another mother who might be going through a similar situation. I mean, it's so powerful on your side. And then I think it also provides a lot of healing as well to people. You know, I know for me personally, just being able to relate to women who have experienced or gone through sexual assault, the amount of healing I've found in that of, Oh, I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And um, just sharing stories. It's just so, yeah, it's so awesome. And truly what Trista has done with Reese's purpose is amazing. I mean, what you're saying with the laws, I mean, everyone knows our government, it takes like 20 years to get something it, done. It so the fact that you it, did it in like two is amazing. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it was all planned. There, yeah. there was a plan and there is a purpose. And, you know, through the nonprofit, we also help to be there for families going through this. Just last night, I spoke with a mother from Ohio that lost her little girl within the last month. And to be able to be there for someone, I didn't have anybody that had been through this. So for me to be able to be there and, and, you know, we cried together and we laughed together and we talked about grief and how grief is so different for so many different people. And I'm, I'm thankful that I'm able to do that for others. And it was, you know, it was the Lord giving me that guidance that got me there. Otherwise I'm, I might still be in bed, not wanting to get out you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing it so much. This has just been really fun. And thanks for being on the podcast and, um, to the listeners tune in for the next episode that we have episode number four. Um, and thanks again to Trista. Bye. Thank you.